last week, if you were here, uh, we looked at a message lo- looking at getting or giving, and we say that giving brings something out of us, brings us joy, and obviously helps another person. And I referenced this uh, document, this booklet. This is called our 2020 Annual Report. Uh, we're calling it Be the Good. And if you haven't received it in the mail yet, you will. I received mine on th- Wednesday or Thursday, and we sent it out from Sandusky. And so the mail's a little behind, and Norwalk's out of town compared to Sandusky, of course. So uh, if you haven't gotten it, uh, be looking for it. But we have tons of extra copies at the Welcome Center. So take one, even if you'll get two. And in this document, I just encourage you to read through it. And I want to just put a few of the pages up on the screen just to be, for you able to look and see what it's all about. This shows you where does $100 go with the chapel? When we give, where do I know our money is going? And we break that into about seven or eight different categories, which is really interesting to look at both inside and outside the walls. Um, one of my favorites in this booklet is uh, we had to pivot from in-person services to online within a week. I remember standing on our Sandusky stage and we were debating, do we uh, cancel church and move it into homes? What do we do? And all of a sudden the governor says, well, we're shutting down schools. And we thought, okay, this is gonna be interesting. And so we had to pivot to online services. And over this last year, uh, we've spent uh, 725 hours of editing both audio and video, which is so interesting. 150 hours filming weekend messages That leads to 4.6 terabytes of storage, which is equivalent to about 230 Blu-ray movies. And what I love is we've continued to pivot that way. We still stream our services. Saturday night at 5 o'clock, we go live at our Sandusky campus. And you can watch that, and that service is available. So you can share it, and uh, it's so cool that we're able to do that. And so the other page in the booklet that you'll notice is... Uh, what's been given and, and what's still needed by the end of this year. And it just tells you we've had new givers consistently and uh, just so encouraged by that. But like any nonprofit, the end of the year is a big deal. And I'm not going to stand up here and beg you or make you feel guilty. That's between you and the Lord, what you give and how you give. But if God has laid it on your heart to give a little extra to the chapel this time of the year or you're able to do that, really thank you for that. So we can help hopefully meet budget by uh, the end of 2020. So it's just an interesting book too because 2020 has been such a crazy year to say the least, but God's hand has been so faithful. So anyways, take a look at this. Um, Now that it's Christmas season, of course, for me, I've been reading or watching some Christmas movies and one of my favorite Christmas movie of all time, and I consider it a Christmas movie, I hope you do too, is the movie Home Alone. Is that a Christmas movie? Do we count that? Thank you. All right, good. My six-year-old was telling me the other day, he's like, Eric, I want to, or Eric, Dad, uh, I want to watch Home Alone. And I'm like, are you old enough? We, we haven't decided if he is or not. But what I love about Home Alone is two things. One, I learned if I am left Home Alone, I can repurpose my cans of paint in the garage to hopefully knock out the bad guys. The second thing I learned about Home Alone is that I can relate to it. Not the Home Alone part. I don't like to be Home Alone. But it's the part at the beginning. At the beginning of Home Alone, you see Kevin McAllister, he has issues with everybody. He has struggles with his parents, struggles with his siblings, struggles with his uncles, struggles with his cousins. And when I read that, or when I watch that movie, I'm thinking, you know what, I can relate. Because all of us have problems with people. Oftentimes they're within our home, but many with outside of our home as well. All of us have issues, all of us have struggles. What's interesting about Christmas time is, I don't know why, but it highlights those problems, doesn't it? I think stress is a little bit more prominent. We're not sure 
what we're supposed to do this year, how we're going to travel, who we're going to see. And that can definitely lead to some intensity. And this Christmas season, you and I have a choice. We can focus on our problems with others and continue to produce those and live at strife with people because that's oftentimes just what we do as humans. Or we can strive for peace. And in this message series, we've called Reclaiming Christmas. If we want to make Christmas what it's truly about, if we want to reclaim Christmas for Jesus, we must strive for peace with others. And we're going to be looking at a text in Colossians chapter 3 to see how we can do this. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We'll get to that in a little moment. We'll start in verse 8. But I want to start off with a question. I want you to wrestle with this in your own heart and mind. Why do we experience so many relational problems with others? You see, in Home Alone, he has issues with everybody, of course. And when I look at my life, it's easy to figure out pretty quickly I have issues with a lot of people, whether it's in my house or at work or, or sometimes just with strangers who cut me off in a road. I'm like, geez, we have problems with people, but why? I often think when I'm talking to other people about issues that my wife and I have, it's very rare do I start off by saying, we have issues in our marriage because of me. Usually when we're communicating with others about our marriage issues or our issues with our kids or our issues with our mother-in-law, our father-in-law, we don't have a lot of time to go into that today, so let's just put that on the shelf. When we talk about people, who do we usually talk about? The other person. They did this. They act like this. They say this. And some of that's true. Some of us have problems with people because people are people. But often, the problems that we have oftentimes stem back to us. That's why our lack of love towards others is usually, I shouldn't say usually, always, the problem that leads to problems. Sometimes it's a lack of love from someone to us, true, but oftentimes it's a lack of love that we share with others. God knew this was going to happen. He even said early, when he's rolling out some of these laws that he wanted his people to follow, he said, listen, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israel, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I wish it just stayed in the Old Testament because we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. But then, of course, Jesus had to go and basically say it's the second most important commandment. I mean, he says it's equally important as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to love God, but it's not really easy to love people. And Jesus says both are the same. If you love God the way you're supposed to, you will love people. And if you love people the way you're supposed to, you'll love God. But oftentimes we struggle to love people. Why is that? Well, actually, we are in love. Very much so. Painfully in love. Obsessively in love. With ourselves. We really, 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 really love ourselves. To the point that it affects relationships with others. We love ourselves so much that we often choose how we're going to treat people based upon how we think about ourselves first. I want my needs met first, and if they not, therefore it leads to conflict with others. That person was mean to me, and because I love myself so much, and I'm obsessed with myself, and I want to hold on to that grudge, I'm not going to forgive that other person. And so on and so forth. We're in love, but we're in love with the wrong person. 
Jesus tells us when we love him, we will love people. So we have to get out of love with ourselves. Start to love God with our whole heart so we can truly love people and thus strive for peace this Christmas season instead of exasperating our problems. How do we do that? Turn to Colossians 3. And let's begin in verses 8 through 9. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage to you. Then we're going to go back and, and look at it word for word. As we do that, again, may I ask you to not focus on how your spouse or your boss or your best friend acts these, in these ways. You can't control them. Too often in our lives, we spend the majority of our time trying to change other people while justifying why we don't have to. It's time to get out of love with ourselves and see ourselves for who we really are so we can fix some of these deeper issues in our hearts. And Paul's going to show us how to do that. So Colossians 3, verses 8 through 9. But now is the time. Right now is the time to get rid of these issues in our lives. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. He says, now is the time. Some of us in this room need to hear this. You get a fresh start today if you want it. You can't change who you were yesterday or who you were 20 years ago, though I wish I, I, wish I could for myself, trust me. But you can't. But today is the time. You get a fresh start. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it possible? Very much so. There's hope. But today's the day. You have to choose today to be that day. And if you fail tomorrow, you get another chance to do it. Choose that day. Because the more we prolong this, the more problems we have with people. Today is the day to get rid of some of these things. First of all, Paul says get rid of anger. What this means here is bitterness and spite. I don't know why. It's, I think it's an American thing. We just carry on bitterness all the time. Bitterness from how someone treated us 25 years ago or bitterness for how something happened to us yesterday, but we're just bitter all the time. That root produces some pretty disgusting fruit in our lives. Are you dealing with bitterness or spite right now? Now is the time to get rid of it. Rage are these emotional outbursts. When we get angry, we're like a volcano, finally it just erupts. Some of us erupt all the time. The volcano's very active. Others of us, it's dormant, but it builds up, builds up, builds up. And when we outburst, holy smokes, look out. The neighbors, neighbors, neighbors can hear you. How are those outbursts affecting those that love you the most? Are they the recipient of the eruption? How is that affecting the people, usually in our own home? Malicious behavior. This means the evil behavior underneath of the anger. Maliciousness is the root of anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. There's something underneath of that. There's some sort of evil behavior. That evil behavior is usually pride, selfishness, that does then thus shows itself in anger and rage and outbursts. What is underneath of that is causing you and I to live this way. Slander. Tearing apart someone's character behind their back, gossip. Why is it that Christians are some of the worst gossipers that I know? We should be the people that, when we're talking about someone, they should be able to count on us because we love Jesus to talk 
greatly, great to them. And if we don't, if we can't in that moment, if I have an issue with Charles, instead of talking to Todd about it, I go, I go to Charles. That's what we're supposed to do. Why do we talk badly about people? Christ followers? Today's the day to get rid of that. Dirty language, we see that and we think, oh yeah, cursing. That's part of it, but it's not. In this instance, Paul's saying it's insults and verbal abuse. Some of us are really, really good at being kind and loving our spouse or loving our kids or grandkids in front of everybody else. But when the door closes, when the garage door closes, when you get behind closed doors, some of us are saying some pretty horrific things about the people that we should be loving the most. Paul says, we got to knock that off. Today's the day to stop that. And then he says, don't lie to each other. For you stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. When we think about lying here, it means some white lies that we fudge, half-truths, cover-ups. It can be blatant lies, but how often we lie to one another. And that leads to relational strife. These kinds of qualities are leading to the problems in our lives. Other people are doing these things to you, yes, but you can't control that. What are some of these things in your life that Paul's saying, you need to knock it off now. Some of you are saying, I can't. It just comes out of us. But the end of this is so key. We don't have to act this way anymore because we should have stripped off our old sinful nature. Our old life should be gone. We should embrace our new life. Some of us are holding on to the past. Some of us are going back to old behaviors and living in our old self. And Jesus is like, knock that off. You don't have to. I've redeemed you. I've given you new life. Let's live in that new life. You don't have to cause problems. You can strive for peace. And that's what I want to talk about next. How do we do that? How do we leave the old self behind that Jesus died for and he's given you new life? How do we embrace that new life today, starting today, so that our problems cease and we strive for peace instead? Paul is so clear on how we do that. It's so easy but hard at the same time. He gives you the instructions. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. That's why you forgive other people. And above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace, there it is, the peace that comes from Christ, let it rule, let it dictate your heart's behaviors. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Many of us, when we look at this passage, we skip the first part and go right to the qualities. Okay, I want to be humble, I want to be patient, I want to tolerate people. Okay, but Paul tells you in the beginning how to do that. He says this, embrace your status. Strip off the old life that God buried in the ground when he died for you. And then when Jesus rose from the grave, gave you new life. Not life that begins in heaven, a life that begins here. Because he's established heaven here. That's why he brought the kingdom. He says embrace your status. That's why he says God chose you to be these things. Stop living in the past. Knock it off. Cut that off. 
take it off and put on your new status. And with your new status as a chosen person by God to live out your new Christ-likeness, now you can put on these new qualities that the people in your life are desperate to receive. You can't produce fruit on your own. You have to be rooted in your new self in Christ so he can produce this in and through you. We have to start with who we are now and then we can go on to clothing ourselves, to putting on these kinds of right qualities. And let's walk through these together for a few moments. He says tenderhearted mercy, which is a gut-wrenching compassion. It means to feel for somebody that you act on their behalf. Jesus did that for us. He felt for us as sinners who were desperate for a Savior. So he acted. He was compassionate. And then he acted and gave himself to us. And thus, we ought to give ourselves to other people. And how do we do that? Paul says that we be kind to people. Kindness is a true desire for a person's good. We genuinely care about people. So often we care about people to their face, but we're fake. Genuinely caring means following up and keeping to your word when you say you will. That you do for others what they can't do for themselves because you're truly caring about their needs. You're kind with your time and your love. Humility, seeing ourselves for who we truly are. Philippians 2.3 says, we think of others as better than ourselves. You will never truly be kind and gentle and loving to others if you think you're better than people. Because when we stand above other people, when they don't meet our requirements or they don't hit our levels or our bar, then we treat them usually poorly. But when we see ourselves as, man, I, these people are better than me. I want to treat them as such. We become like Jesus, who lowered himself so he could lift us up. It's time to start lifting other people up and instead of expecting them to lift you up. Gentleness, also known as meekness, a readiness to set aside our personal opinions and our desires. That when it doesn't match up what we think or what we believe, we're willing to listen and sometimes even willing to change because we're listening and being kind and we're humble. I would like to skip this next one, but we probably can't. That is not allowed. Patience. The resolute refusal to retaliate, Herbert Carson says. Andrew Lincoln, he puts it this way the ability not to become frustrated. The ability to not become frustrated. Never. The ability not to become enraged, but instead, we make allowances for others' shortcomings. And this one's really tough for me. To tolerate exasperating behavior. I need to paint this on my eyeballs <laughs> and in my house. My kids, eight, six, four, and two, they exasperate me. And so often, I take off my kindness and humility and gentleness and, of course, patience. I put on rage and malice and anger and outbursts. It really, really damages our kids when I do that. But if I truly embraced who I am in Jesus, and I was patient with my kids, I could tolerate this exasperating behavior, and frankly, I'm called to do it 
because God tolerates my exasperating behavior too. We should be patient with others. And patience in this next one, tolerance, is similar. Bearing with others in the midst of their faults and their failures. Usually we remind people of their faults and failures, but the people that you're doing that to, they already know. They already feel this way about themselves. Instead of throwing in their face, how about we act like Christians and we bear with them. and We love them through them. Faults and failures. And finally, forgiveness. Because Jesus forgives us, we forgive others. Some of the hardest things to forgive are the things that we need to forgive. So bitterness and rage and anger don't control us, but God's love propels us to forgive. That needs to control us. And when we do this, it it cultivates peace. And then Paul says we clothe ourselves in love. We tie it all together in love. When you and I can love the way God loves us, I promise you, you'll be more patient, more kind, more tolerant, more forgiving. Because we can fake all of those qualities that I said right there, but you can't fake love. And with love comes everything else. And then Paul says in verse 15, he says, look, it will cultivate peace with others. He, he, he puts it this way. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. What is ruling in your heart right now? There is something ruling your heart. Why not let it be the, the peace that comes from God himself? He's the Prince of Peace. And he lives within you, Christ follower. It is there. That's why Paul says, let it come in you and come out of you. Let it rule your heart. Let it dominate everything that you do. So that you and I, as members of one body, can live at peace with one another. Someone said it best. Peace is not the absence of conflict. But it's the presence of God in the midst of chaos. You and I are going to have conflict. Many of us are going to have conflict by the time we leave our parking lot today. But you have a choice. It's not the other person's fault. It's not COVID's fault. It's in us. And what comes in you will come out of you. It's just who it is. It's just who we are. Today, you can put your old selfish behavior behind and embrace your status as Christ's follower and live out all that he wants to give you so that you can strive for peace, not just over the holidays, but beyond. So what I want to do is I want to end with a prayer, a prayer of peace. It's by St. Francis. I just ask you to close your eyes And if you could indulge me for a moment, would you just open your hands like this? And I just want you to pray with me in your hearts and receive this from God. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, let me be an instrument of hope. Where there is darkness, let me be light. Where there is sadness, may I be a source of joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, 
to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain seated. Someone will dismiss you. Have a great Sunday.